Hey folks, and welcome to Brown and Out. Today we are talking to Alex Hazard. Um, Alex, how are you doing today? So far, so good. Um, I had a friend over last night who was helping me dog test my cat, and she, my cat, she was okay. Um, <laughs> I felt so bad. She scared the dog. Um, and so we're going to try that again some other time because I would like to get a dog at some point in my future, but um, maybe not, maybe not anytime soon. <laughs> the cat has to okay that decision and that makes sense. I get that. I wouldn't consider myself a cat person, but I really wanted a pet. And so I got this cat and she's very sweet and I, I love her very much, but um, I do still want a dog. <laughs> oh my God. What is her name? Your cat? Cleopatra. Shout out to Cleopatra. <laughs> um, so I, I just want to say generally happy holidays. I do not know that you do celebrate any particular holiday. If you do though, um, I, I want to wish you a happy one. And also knowing that um, it is a pandemic and a lot of mm -hmm. folks plans have changed curious to know if you did have holiday plans how how they unfolded for you yeah so i wouldn't typically say that i really celebrate any holidays i do like have christmas traditions because that's just the tradition i was raised in um right so like i went out with my friend and cut down a tree um you know you did to, oh my um, god hallmark stuff <laughs> it felt very Vermonty. We got one of those um, permits that they have where you can like go out into the woods and chop down a tree. It was like very interesting experience for like somebody who grew up in the burbs and like you would like the epitome epitome of like the Christmas experience was going to like a Christmas tree lot farm thing where you would go and like quote unquote cut down your own tree, but they would like give you all the stuff to do it. And basically, like the only thing you're really doing yourself is the physical cutting. <laughs> Um, versus like this like trek out into the wilderness <laughs> and like the, <laughs> you know like the national forest and walking some trails and picking a tree and being like this one looks good and like having to pull it back on your car and stuff like that um, so that was fun but otherwise I don't you know just like the way with the pandemic had folded out you know I didn't really make plans to go you know see my dad or anything like that for the holidays like there wasn't really it didn't really strike me it didn't really seem like there was a point to creating plans because very unlikely that they would actually come to fruition um I know my dad he's back down in Honeybrook Pennsylvania which is a little bit outside of Lancaster and he's like I'll come up you know for like Christmas or something and you know Chester County, the county he's in Pennsylvania, has been like a red county. It was like red the whole time. So I was like, well, you can do that, but you're going to have to stay here inside and not go anywhere for like the two weeks. <laughs> so I'm going to let you decide, but I'm just giving you the information. <laughs> do with that what you will. Um, which is basically me saying like, please don't come up here. Um, but I want you to make the decision for yourself. Um, so, yeah. And he, he had wanted to try and do like a, a Zoom something or another for the holidays, but he's not very like technologically savvy. 
Um, so that didn't happen, which I, I wasn't surprised by. But that's okay. I still um I made myself a turkey and stuff. So that's turkey? what I'm having today. Yeah. Oh, a bit of leftovers. Yeah. I uh well they had okay, so I really like turkey and I like feel like I haven't been able to find it in the grocery stores outside of like Thanksgiving and Christmas time. Like I never see it and never see like just like even like just a turkey breast or like anything like that. So they had turkeys on sale for Christmas for like the winter holidays for like fifty cents a pound. So I bought several turkeys to have for later. <laughs> Several. A few, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations is all I can think to say. They're just so cheap. They were like six bucks a turkey. How could you pass that up? It, it, I understand that it would be difficult to do that, um, especially <laughs> as, as a turkey lover yourself being. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I have a chest freezer because um, I freeze a lot of stuff. So I like to make like soup and freeze it for later because I'm lazy and I'm tired. Um, that so. just sounds <laughs> smart and resourceful to me. <laughs> yeah, so I have one. And I'm like, thank goodness I have this because I can stick all my turkeys in the freezer. <laughs> but I digress. Anyway. I salute you. I really do. Um, now, <laughs> thank you for sharing um, a bit of your um, holiday experience with us. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about your origin story, as they say. I'm also aware that that is like a superhero term, and we can get mm -hmm. into if like you like superheroes or not later. Um, but so at the risk of sounding like um, uh, a superhero Stan, <laughs> the origin story um, of Alex Hazard, where are you from? What was it like growing up, if I may? Well, I am from Westchester, Pennsylvania, um, which is about 30, 45 minutes outside of Philly, depending on how fast you drive um, and how much traffic there is. Sometimes that's like three hours <laughs> at rush hour. But um, Westchester, Pennsylvania is a suburb, if you want to call it that, of Philadelphia on the main line. And um, it's a very interesting area. So I actually, I went to school in Malvern, Pennsylvania, which is like not that far, but like all like in the same area, basically. Um, it's this very like suburban, upper middle class white area. <laughs> um, and so my parents are divorced, have been separated as long as I can remember. Um, and so my mom lived in that area and then my dad lived a little in a different town, a little further outside of Philly. Um, that was, um, I don't know. I, the area that he lived in was like similar vibes, but he, his, um, socioeconomic situation was different. Um, he's black, so, and I have no doubt that that impacted, uh, you know, the way he got jobs and um, all of that stuff. So he didn't have as much money as my mother did, but not that that means really anything, but that's just how it was. Um, and so 
you know, growing up, I um, always kind of knew I was different. I couldn't really pinpoint how, um, you know, until like I was even like a little bit like in high school, I kind of knew I was queer, but like didn't really have the language to describe my experience as a trans person. Like I think at that point in, what years were those? Oh, I don't know, like the mid 2000s, um, mid late 2000s. I graduated in 2012, <laughs> right. And um, we, it was like gay, lesbian, bisexual and straight and like that's it, those are, with all only letters that we had um at least in like the community I was growing up and that's all we really knew about all I knew about and so like didn't really have a good way of describing my experiences as a gay trans man I'm like well I'm still attracted to men so I'm not really sure what that means for me um but like don't I don't feel straight something about that label it doesn't sit well <laughs> with me and it's funny, like, thinking back now, I, I, you know, remember some of these times where I was like, I feel like a gay man. I'm like, oh, well, that's funny. And, like, we kind of, like, move on. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, that makes a lot of sense now. Um, and uh, so I think, you know, like, I had, yeah, I definitely did, like, the tomboy thing, you know, growing up, I think, is not uncommon in a lot of transmasculine narratives um and um so but there got to be this point my folks kind of let me do whatever i wanted i think up until like middle school end of middle school and then april my mother like did this like weird sort of sit down with me where she was like hey, so you need to like dress more feminine now or people won't like you. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I guess I'll just do that. Um, <laughs> I like your face. Um, yeah, not good. Um, and I spent a lot of my like years of puberty and like high school like being just really terrible and miserable because first puberty, as I like to call it, was just like god awful, right? Like everything I didn't want to happen to my body. <laughs> um, you know, and, like, feeling, like, really powerless to stop it, um, but, you know, I think, and then going into undergrad, I kind of had this, like, weird aha moment, um, not weird, but I had, like, this aha moment, um, was reading some manga, because what else do I do in my free time uh, in undergrad? Fun fact, reading manga, at least for me, takes less time than watching an episode of anime, so I <laughs> read more manga instead, because I was like, I shouldn't be spending time doing this, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it with maximum efficiency. <laughs> um, but I was reading some manga, some, like, some gay manga, and um, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, gosh, I really wish I was, like, the male protagonist or, like, hero in this story. Um, and just had, like, this weird moment of clarity, like, asking myself, why couldn't I, um, and hit up my friend Google and was like, what does it mean if you're, like, a girl, but you want to be a boy, and it was, like, trans, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's me, um, and everything just kind of took off from there, but I spent, the unfortunate thing, the only unfortunate thing I think at that time was that I 
didn't really have a whole lot of access where I was to like transition care. So I had to wait for like four years to really do anything um, that I wanted to related to my transition, like, um, like HRT and getting my name legally changed and all that stuff didn't happen until um, I came back to Westchester for grad school. But that's kind of where I'm at in that journey. And now I'm here. So, and I, I went to grad school for like student affairs, right? And so now, like, now I work at PRISM, um, which I think is always funny. I always joke with folks. I'm like, I'm very lucky to have gotten a job in my field right after school. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if that kind of answers that question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't want to leave out uh, the part in there that you are from the Philadelphia area. And I wanted to know your thoughts on Gritty. <laughs> Gritty. It's funny, I remember when they revealed Gritty um, like to the public, where they're like, this is our new mascot. And we're all like, who <laughs> made this? <laughs> this like very strange looking, fuzzy, like very large, disturbing eyed <laughs> creature. <laughs> um, and, you know, at that point, I think everybody here was just kind of laughing at how ridiculous he looks. And Philly being Philly, right, we just, I think people just, you know, really rally around his uniqueness and his kind of interesting look. Um, and now he's kind of become this uh, mascot, not only for, like, the Flyers, but also for just, like, I don't know, just, like, yeah, I don't know. He's become part of a strange movement that I don't really know how to describe. But he's very interesting. That is for sure. All right. <laughs> I was I was really just dying to know your take on Gritty. <laughs> um, so uh, there's we had a pre-interview interview, and there was something uh, a phrase that that came about that I wanted to get into and talk to you about with um and it's this idea of coming to versus coming out and i wondered if you could um speak to that concept a little bit and tell me what that means for you yeah i think that um you know right like it's not quite accurate to talk about like queer experiences as a coming out. I think like that's the language we had and we used um, that folks felt good with for like a really long time. And um, right, obviously like you don't just like come out once and that's it. Um, you know, it's like every time, especially I obviously like each individual and their identities is different, but I, I think from like a trans perspective, it's like every time like I get misgendered at the store, is it like, do I correct them or do I just stay quiet? Is that like a moment of coming out in a manner of speaking? Um, you know, or uh, like, I think I've had these moments where with um, gay men that I'm friends with will like say something like vaguely cis-sexist or like, like comments on like 
um, like vaginas and stuff like that. And they're like, ha ha ha, like gay people don't like vaginas. I'm like, ugh, this again. <laughs> um, you know, and like, is that like a coming out moment? They should already know. I'm pretty like, I'm pretty out about my identities. Um, like I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not like stealth or anything like that. But, um, you know, every, every time something comes up that's like vaguely related, you're like kind of like coming out to somebody. So I think, like you said, that like phrase of like coming to or like coming into your identities is, I feel like a little bit more accurate of a description of what that experience is kind of like. Yeah. And how would you say that that um, affects your work at the PRISM Center? Also, can you tell us what that is? Um, you, you mentioned your work there um, a little bit earlier. And if you, yeah, can just talk more about what it is you do there um, at UVM. Yeah, so I think, excuse me, sorry. In terms of my work, I think it's more like a lot of these like one-on-one -on -one conversations I have with students where they're like trying to figure out kind of where they're at and not having a lot of um, sort of pressure to get them to come to an identity and then be like, all right, now you have to like tell everybody. <laughs> like, you know, that's not really the narrative that we're, um, that I'm personally anyway interested in shaping. Like, you know, when I'm talking with students, they're telling me about their experiences and I'm like, well, you know, that maybe kind of sounds like this or I'm like, I totally hear you. Like my experience with XYZ identity is like very similar, you know, or whatever. It's like a conversation to, getting them to a place where they feel authentic and like more themselves. I think that's really what I'm trying to do with my work um, is make it so students are at a place where they can, where they don't have to like be constantly thinking about like, who am I? Like, what am I doing? What do I want? And they can just go and like live their lives and not have to like sit here and agonize over their identities because they, they don't have like a like the, like the base like sense of self, like that's not something that they are like continuing to struggle with. Um, that's kind of where I want to help them. But in terms of my like day-to-day -day work, so like my, my official title is Student Empowerment Coordinator. Um, and how that kind of shows up for me is um, facilitating and organizing a lot of our, well, all of our affinity spaces. So we have, um, a number of affinity spaces that kind of like go in and out of existence depending on student interests. So like there's been, um, we've collaborated a little bit with like Hillel for Hinenu, which is like a Jewish LGBTQ affinity group. Um, there's a cutie BIPOC affinity group that we collaborate on with the Women and Gender Equity Center and the Mosaic Center. Um, and what else? There's a BIPAN group, there's a trans and non-binary group, there's Arrow Ace Space, which is one of our larger groups. Um, we did try a couple of other spaces, like a disabled LGBTQ affinity group and like a questioning or like a, what was the word that we were looking for? There's another word that I think folks have been using that's not questioning and I can't recall what it is at this moment, but um, yeah. 
those that's what I've been working on so far. And then also just like um something that I am working towards but haven't quite found the like medium for is um offering opportunities for students to like build skills, not like in a job skills kind of way. I'm kind of over that in a, like a higher ed sense. <laughs> I'm not really interested in providing students with quote unquote job skills. What does that even mean? Capitalism sucks. Um, so, <laughs> but it, um, how that shows up for me is like, kind of like what I was talking about earlier, just offering students tools and skills so they can learn more about themselves and then go out and be like better community members and like when have better, better relationships and that kind of thing, so. Yeah. It's very valuable work, um, very commendable. Um, I'm happy that you're in that role there um, because I think they need someone that's compassionate and thoughtful and you are those. And that's awesome. That's great work. Um, so let's circle back to something you mentioned earlier. Uh, more of a special interest, one might say. Can you tell us sort of your um, path to manga and also what it means for you? Maybe tell us about your favorite. Mm. I will get to the favorite one last and hopefully my list won't be too long. Um, <laughs> It's funny, so actually, like, in high school, I had, I held this really kind of, I don't know if problematic is the best way to put it, but, like, these, like, you know, those, like, stereotypes, I think, um, that, like, certain people really enjoy manga, um, you know, and then that, that crowd is, like, not the popular crowd, and, like, Are we talking cool. about the, the Yu-Gi-Oh table, um, yeah. in the cafeteria? Yes. Yeah, that table. I know about them. <laughs> Right. So like definitely in high school, I was kind of like a secret anime manga uh, enjoyer <laughs> where, right, it would be like, um, you know, like 10 p.m., 11 p.m., 12 p.m. on like a Thursday night or whenever Toonami came on. Um, and I would just stay up and watch and watch and watch and watch. Um, and so it didn't like not until like undergrad where it's funny, I... So maybe some context might be helpful. So after like kind of like having these feelings in high school and then for undergrad, I like left, um, you know, Westchester, Malvern and went to school in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, which is like kind of like a conservative rural um, ex-coal coal kind of area. But um, that being said, I like still took that opportunity to really explore myself as an individual in which like, right, like, led to this, led to, like, my coming to, and, like, all that stuff, but, um, and so, like, also took that opportunity to be, like, I actually really like anime and manga. I don't know why I keep telling myself that I'm not allowed to enjoy it, um, you know, just because it's quote-unquote uncool, um, and so, like, like I said, I just spent, you know, a lot of undergrad in my free time just, like, watching anime and, like, reading manga, uh, and so, like, got really into, um, there's a subgenre of manga called yaoi, which is, depending on, <laughs> depending on which ones you read, you know, can be, like, problematic, but basically they're, like, gay stories, um, like men who like men, 
Um, and so like that also like led to like my coming to. Um, and I, so I really enjoy those. They have a special place in my heart. They can be like really problematic. You can write a dissertation on like <laughs> problems um, Lots of problematic things in those. But, um, you know, I, I have a soft spot for, for most genres. Um, I think my, one of my favorites in my like, kind of like, uh, gateway manga anime, I guess, if you will. I don't really like that phrase. Let me think of something else. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The first one that I really got into that started my love affair with like manga and anime, one of the ones I saw on Toonami way back when, they don't air it anymore, obviously, but um, was Bleach. It came out, I think in the early 2000s. I want to say around like, yeah, like 2000 or 2001, I think is when, um, Taikubo first started publishing Bleach and Shonen Jump magazine and then it got turned into an anime and there's like 366 episodes I think of the anime 71 72 volumes of the manga I almost own all of it I'm short like 10 volumes um <laughs> it's takes up most of the space on my bookshelf um so that's definitely one of my favorites. That was my first part of my anime sleeve tattoo um, was Ichigo. He's like the main character. It's him and like his mask and stuff. Um, so I would say that's probably one of my all-time favorites. One that I actually don't mind rewatching over and over again. Usually I'll like watch through an anime or, or like read through a manga and I'm like, okay, just like file that in the vault of things that I've read or watched. Um, but Bleach, I, I often go back to for whatever reason. I really enjoy that one. But always hit me up for some anime recs. I think right now I've been on a bit of a, a kick. I really like um, kind of like these coming of age animes. Um, something about them I just really like. They're just so sweet and like kind of innocent and um, touching in their own way. So I just watched one. I forget what it's called. They all have like weird, the English translated titles are all very strange. <laughs> it's like my, my romantic high school experience is a snafu or something like that. <laughs> I can't quite remember. But anyway, just like a touching sort of like coming of age high school experience about this guy who is like not very sociable and like kind of pessimistic about like society and like puberty and like all of this stuff um you know and in the end he like ends up forming these like close relationships with these two girls and gets you know meets a lot of people and has friends and um you know feels like accepted and um like a part of this community which i think is really sweet so but anyway <laughs> i love that that sounds very touching. Um, well, thank you for sharing that that part of yourself with us. Um, now, um, if you don't mind, this is something we spoke about in the pre-interview interview, so I want to touch on mm -hmm. it. And I hope we're not spending too much time in a pandemic fog but that's also kind of what is happening it's topical um and i know you mentioned that pre-pandemic um 
you mentioned that pre-pandemic, your intentions were to sort of get to know um, your community in the area a bit more. Um, and that was sort of thwarted, like so many other plans and so many other ideas that folks had. Um, can you speak a bit about what your intentions are slash were though, as far as building that community for yourself? Yeah, so um, what I didn't say that I could have said um, was that I only moved to Vermont, gosh, like a year and a half ago, July, 2019, right? So. I haven't been here that long um, and I am definitely a little bit more introverted. Um, I do have social anxiety. makes it a little hard to go out and do things. So it took me like a year really to like settle in and be like, okay, like this is where I live now. I'm going to go out and like try and make connections. And so I had been talking with my therapist probably back in maybe like around the time the pandemic really started kind of um, coming down on us here with like shutdowns and stuff like back in March. And I was like, I, or like maybe like a little bit before that, um, I was like, you know, I'm going to spend this summer and I'm like going to go like take a class at like BCA, Burlington City Arts. And I'm like going to go out and like walk places and like go to like glam things. I like heard about this, like we all would like went tubing and stuff like last, the summer previous. And I was like, oh, that looks like fun. I'm scared to see people. Maybe I'll go next year. Um, <laughs> and, you know, then, like, all this stuff happened. And I'm like, well, I guess I can't do any of those things. How am I supposed to, like, build relationships with people when I can't meet anybody new? And I, like, I think part of the thing that was harder for me was, like, I had, like, mentally prepared myself. I had done my, like, anti-social anxiety mental preparation to be like, okay, we're, like, going to go outside and do things and meet people and I'm gonna do that and I'm like yeah I'm like let's do it I'm ready to go and then it's like just kidding you can't go and I'm like oh no I can't go <laughs> but like I was also actually upset um you know so I think that you know has been a little bit difficult for me so it's a tug of war sort of between the anxiety and the very real restrictions that we're all under right yeah yeah, for sure. I think one of the harder things about the the pandemic for me has been that like sort of tug of war, right? Where it's like there's the mental block of, you know, not feeling able or like comfortable like going out and doing things. Um, and then there's also the like, which is, and there's like some of there's like valid, but not quite valid reasons for that, right? Like the way that your mind kind of like rationalizes things. Um, but then, right, there's like the pandemic where it's like, oh, actually you like really should not. Like that's like a like a, a more rational rationalization of why you shouldn't like go out and do things. Um, so. There is something I'm curious about. Um, well, you, so you're cooking. And it turns out that that is turkey and it's leftovers technically, but mm -hmm. you are a cooker. Am yeah. I correct? Mm -hmm. um, so 
I've gotten kind of more curious about challenging myself in a culinary sense since the pandemic. Uh Um, Recently, a recipe that I was going to make called for tripe, and I've never eaten nor cooked with tripe. Um, So that was interesting for me, and I was just wondering along those lines if there was anything new and adventurous that you've added to your cooking repertoire uh, since the pandemic has begun. New and interesting things. So what have I tried? So the turkey was definitely new. I originally made one for Thanksgiving. Um, And uh, so that I didn't realize was like a little bit more involved than I maybe anticipated where it's like, oh, I need like a special pan for this turkey. Um, And oh, I need like a lot of seasonings and herbs for this turkey. (laughs) And of course it's like, the 11th hour low-key. I think I bought the turkey like maybe like a week before Thanksgiving. I was like, oh shit, I need all this stuff. Um, <laughs> so I'm like running around. I'm like, I gotta get this roasting pan from Bed Bath Beyond. I gotta run to the grocery store. Of course, I don't have any of the herbs that I need because everybody's using them um, to cook their own turkeys. And I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> now what do I do? Um, and I spatchcocked my turkey, which is interesting. Um, so for like people who don't know what spatchcocking a turkey is, I don't want to get too graphic because like for people who are like squeamish, but basically you cut out the backbone of the bird and then you smush it. So it lays flatter. So it cooks more evenly and a lot faster. So like um, basically like the recipe I kind of used, I think you basically only really have to cook it for like an hour and a half or two hours instead of like three, four or five hours in the oven. Um, you know, so which I like, because <laughs> then my house doesn't get, like, disgustingly hot. Um, so that was fun. And then I also made, I made gumbo. That was interesting. Though I didn't make it with enough vegetables because I am typically not a person who enjoys vegetables. I'm trying. I've heard that adults are supposed to eat their vegetables. Um, so I'm doing my best to <laughs> do that. <laughs> um, so next time I make it, I, I have to go find something that I like to put in it. But you know, I've made a bunch of other like soups and stuff um, in my Instant Pot, which I'm obsessed with and tell everybody about and tell everybody to get one because you should get one. Um, if you can afford it, you should get one. <laughs> but And I made, I think I told you, I made red wine spaghetti yesterday because I, I had this red wine that I didn't quite like. And I was like, can I make something with this so it's like palatable? Um, and they're like, red wine spaghetti. And I'm like, what is that? Who is she? And they're like, basically, you just cook your spaghetti in some red wine and water and, like, make an accompanying sauce. Um, it was actually pretty tasty. So. Well, thank you for sharing. I There were some good tips within that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so. Uh, I don't have too many more questions. I have exactly two, actually. Um, And yeah, if you are ready, then I will just roll into those. These are uh, questions I ask every guest. Um, And and you are no different, so here I go. Uh, What does 
Black queer culture in Vermont look like to you? I am honestly not really sure. Um, you know, like I said, I've had a, a hard time I think, kind of connecting with folks, not because of anything, you know, the community has really done, but just like, like I said, I have my own, my own stuff. <laughs> um, but I guess like small gatherings of like community members has really been the way that I've interacted with folks or just like really intentional connections um, between cutie BIPOC people like in the community, uh, you know, folks that I work with and then folks that I've met through um, the Pride Center, through the Thrive Group, um, you know, like you and Gustavo, um, and I, like, I think back when we were still able to meet in person, I went to, like, we met, um, for dinner that one time at the ramen place, who, which I can't exactly remember, but anyway, like, I really enjoyed, like, that kind of, and you, I think you, me, and Gustavo also met, like, in another one, it was just the three of us at, um, uh, Elgato. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's been really fun. I really enjoyed kind of like getting to know people in that way because I don't do well in large groups. Um, I've like done so like every once in a while I would go to like Gorilla Queer Bar just because I'm like this is the thing that people do to like go out and like meet people. So I will try and do that. That doesn't work as well for me. Just like the crowd um, can be a little much, but. Um, so I've really enjoyed having those smaller spaces to get connected. And I think the same thing too, like I haven't seen a whole lot of like cutie BIPOC folks at that, those events. Um, I've seen like, I've met like a couple of folks there um, that I've been able to connect with, like on Facebook and stuff. Um, so that has been nice, but yeah, I guess I'm not really sure. A little bit different, I think, than like, you know, it was maybe like in Philly where um, even if you did go to like a gay bar or queer bar or something like that, there would still be like a lot of like people of color there because it's a city and there are more people of color there <laughs> than like Burlington, Vermont. Um, that just kind of is where we live. So. <laughs> All right. And when do you feel most brown and out? You know, I think, I'm not sure how I originally answered this question, but I feel like, you know, I had made, I can't remember if I might have made, like, some comment about um, being out in, like, Philly and uh, with, like, friends at, like, a gay bar and, like, just, like, hanging out outside with, like, a bunch of, like, queer black and brown folks and that just feeling, like, very at home for me. Um, now... I guess I'm not really sure. I think, you know, I've felt, I've done a lot of work um, over the past like several months, like kind of like on myself and like being a little bit more at home in my own skin. And so I, the ironic thing I think is that at this point, you know, whenever I like do go outside, I like am willing to show up more as myself and more authentically. And so um, honestly, I think at this point, anytime I go outside, 
I feel most myself. Maybe that's kind of a corny thing to say, but yeah. But I, I think, yeah, always like gathering with like, like cutie BIPOC over like a meal or something like that is always nice. Like, I think that those like moments are um, the ones that I, I most remember and hold on to. Thank you so much um, for your answers and your time and your thoughtfulness and your consideration and your mind and your spirit, um, body, soul, heart. Um, <laughs> is there anything else that you would like to add before we wrap up? Um, I don't know if there's anything specific that I'd like to add. I think that I'll definitely say that, you know, my like coming to journey, both like as a queer person and like, you know, as like a, a multiracial black person, um, has like been interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. It's just, it's been interesting and it's been a process. And I think that, and, you know, a lot of folks are going through similar stuff, whether it's, um, you know, queer-related or racial or ethnic identity-related. Um, but, like, I don't know if this is, like, unsolicited advice I wanted to offer, but, like, you know, you have time. I guess I just wanted to offer that to people to, like, figure yourself out. I think a lot of the times that... And I definitely still feel this every once in a while. There's like this pressure. It's like, I have to do this right now or I'm not living my life. And what am I doing? And if I'm not most, if I'm not most authentically myself all the time, then I'm like, I'm wasting, you know, like the best years of my life. But that's like not true. You know, there are all kinds of like queer elders who like didn't have the language that we have now to like kind of come into their own identities and are like living their best lives now. And you can live your best life at any time. So no pressure. <laughs> so wise so wise Alex thank you so much um, you're awesome I really appreciate you speaking with me today um, tonight as it were uh, to be specific um, okay yeah and so that was that was the parting word okay I think we're great then uh Thank you so much for, for talking with us today. You're amazing. And I wish you a happy 2021. We're almost there. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Um, yes. Let us, I set, I did my solstice intentions last week for 2021. So let us go in to a positive New Year. <laughs> I'm going to put that out there. It'll be better. It will be better. 